My name is Josh Alvarez. And I am Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 101 of Cinepunks. How crazy is that? I, know I mean, that honestly, it's fucking insane. It's not that crazy because we did episode 100 and then we just took all of August off. We were just like, you know what, August? Fuck, Fuck you. you, August. But this this is the thing, though. Episode 100 was epic. And Yeah, uh, I don't know if everyone loved it as much as... Here's the thing. I liked it. I loved it. I and listened to the whole thing, all and the people, I was in the conversation the whole time. All the people who were on it seemed to have liked it. Yeah. I don't know if other people liked it or not. Well, um, as much as I love other people, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, the entire Cinepunks oeuvre is kind of just our thing, isn't it? Like, I mean... At the end of the day... It's what we love and who we are. So you I, either get with that or you get with get with the stepping. I so. mean, I guess we do have to just start off saying thank you to everybody who was on that episode 100, and thank you to everybody who posted about it, and uh, thanks to uh, let's see, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure some other people listened to it, but uh, thanks to everyone who listened to it and let us know that they liked it, and everyone who's been a part of Cinepunks up till now. Like that's just been really great to have people like nick and andrew andrew and honestly thank you to andrew for bringing us those donuts that was awesome the vegan donuts i wish he would bring us some donuts (laughs) and i gotta say it's funny because it's like andrew and i have been in a band now for going on three years almost that was the first time he's come on cinepunks and it's not like i'm like yo andrew you are incredibly amusing and entertaining and interesting maybe you shouldn't be on my podcast it's like we've been asking him to do it for a while, but we just haven't been able to make it work until episode 100. But um, I'm so happy that we got to talk to Andrew at least for a little bit. And, and just so people, because I feel like people don't know that Andrew has this her like this nerdy thing, sure that like other people aren't aware of. And right, you know, you see him; he's like this nine foot tall dude that wears suits and like has tattoos and like jumps really high and plays bass. His nerdy thing being his participation in your band or his practicing the law, both of which I find just disdainful. <laughs> no, I was actually talking about the uh, Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you well, and his obsession, podcast, his, Liam, obsession yeah. with, his obsession with sequels is very interesting. It's so good, isn't it? It's yeah. so awesome. The Substitute franchise, that was one of the ones that he brought up. Yeah, that's actually a crazy thing that it's he said. It's so good, though, right? It's so good. <laughs> it's so, I mean, like, honestly, I'm perpetually in awe of the people that I keep close to me, and Andrew is one of them, just like Liam's one of them. And uh, you, you can know, leave me off your list. Yeah, except for Liam. Everyone else, you guys are awesome. Liam, not so much. But um, I'm, I'm a real bum out. <laughs> also, thanks to Kay for coming on. I'm excited to do, like, more episodes with uh, yeah. her and with Dustin and, like, all these cool people that were... Oh, yeah, Brian and... Uh, it was just awesome. It was so fun. Yeah. And I felt so... It's funny, right? Because like, you never want to think in terms of like self-serving. Like, oh yeah, this is us and we're awesome. So listen to it kind of thing. But like at that particular moment, I felt like, man, we not only are cool do- cool people, but we associate with so many cool people. And people that are cool truly do like us and love us. You know what I mean? So it made me feel good. So thank you to everybody that had a hand in that. Thank you to... Um, all of the people that are on our network, including the Wine and Cheese guys and the uh, Black Sun Dispatches and uh, Tomb of Ideas and Evil, Evil Eye, Eye and uh, just everybody that even just participates. Not at Justin, all. though. Our business can suck a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never heard of I it. I think we should uh, create a fake competition because I like the idea that when I'm on each show, I'm like <laughs> dissing, like, that fucking, those, 
those fucks in horror business, <laughs> they they are not. They're the worst, and we're going to defeat them. And then I'm, and then I'll go on horror business as I go and be like, you know about them cinepunks motherfuckers <laughs> over there? They're the worst. I like you adopting a New York hardcore style Vinny Stigma. Hey, hey, Stigma. Hey, what's going on over it ain't there? Hardcore. It ain't shit. But um, yeah, <laughs> if it ain't hardcore, it, it ain't, ain't shit. It ain't shit. So anyway, I don't think it's New York that accent that I'm doing. I don't know what it. I, I I'm mean, I'm gonna go on record and say I think it's New York, and uh, I'll, I'll go on. <laughs> hey, I'll go on record and let you know that it's completely made up. Uh, listeners out there, no listener human Liam, sounds. You like should know this. that Liam is making faces as he's saying these things in this nah, manner, and it is nah, entertaining. Not nah humans, fuck, not nah humans sound uh, like this. Sweet baby, I think Jesus. it's a mix of New York hardcore and, uh, and, and drunk Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah. I'm into it though i'm into it man that's a good look get to the chopper yeah you got a voice for uh type oh uh anyway so um thank you to type everybody for typo <laughs> thank you to everybody that participated in episode 100 oh. we love you with all our hearts and um thank you to everybody that has uh rate listened reviewed subscribed all that stuff you guys are awesome and cinepunks wouldn't exist without you. You know, when you said that, I really wanted to sing a typo song at you, but then I remembered that they're all trash and offensive, <laughs> and I didn't do it. Well, thank God you didn't do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just like to make fun of people who like typo negative. I like typo negative. I'm I kidding. know you do. It's, it's disgraceful. Just what it is. You're it's a just what it is. It's, that's not even the first time that someone said that to it's me today. It's disgraceful. But it's okay. It's okay. I can wear that. I can wear that on my back. But um, also, thank you to um, everybody that has supported us via Patreon and all the other things as well, like uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, XLVACX.com, Chris Reject. If you, uh, if you are in need of merchandise in the form of a T-shirt and or a koozie and or a poster, um, feel free to hit up LVAC, uh, XLVACX.com, mm-hmm. and uh, you will not be disappointed. Tell them Cinepunk sent you. And um, it, it would be cool. Chris would be happy to hear that, I'm sure. I mean, I think uh, anytime you talk to Chris X is mildly disappointing. Chris Reject. Chris Reject. Fuck. Chris X, um, Liam did not mean that. We No, are... Chris is, X is great. Chris Reject is a blight upon humanity. That's uh, too many Chris. <laughs> Um, no, w- while you will be bummed if you have to speak to Chris Reject, you will not be bummed with the results, which are going to be professionally done shirts, handled with care, interacting with, every time you're not talking to Chris Reject, uh, quality people who are there to help you and do the job that you need done. Uh, and, and I think you'll be stoked on the results, on the price, on every aspect of the experience, other than interacting with Reject, <laughs> which is always just something that you curse God for. You just walk out of LVAC and go, oh, dang you, Yahweh, for putting Chris Reject on the planet. <laughs> but these shirts are so good. Man, look at that. This is life. Can you believe it? I just like to make fun of Chris. Sorry. Well, we love you, Chris. Thank you for giving us love and, and showing us love and being who you are and what you do. Don't you, you so fucking much. speak for me. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't uh, you put words in my mouth. Mouth is is mouth? That's not right. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. I'm just again analyzing my accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's called uh, Urban Collingswood. But anyway, oh yeah, that's true. Neither here nor there. From the hard streets of Seawood, <laughs> Seawood, the Collingswood. Zane North represent. <laughs> All right. So anyway, yeah, um, we took the month of August off and we are back now with episode 101. 
And um, we are going to talk about some uh, two interesting movies today. We're talking about Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion. I like that you were kind of searching for it, like, it's right there. On the it's so there. It's so right there. Yep. And, and preceding that, uh, Stray Cat Rock. Stray Cat Rock. Or Alley Cat Rock. It could be either way. I guess in Japanese, it doesn't directly translate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Stray yeah. Cat, Alley Cat Rock, Delinquent Girl Boss. boss. Delinquent Girl Boss. Yes. Yeah. Which, so. which, well, we'll get into where that all goes. <laughs> Uh, do we have ears on those? Ears? Ears. Oh, years. I couldn't understand through your Collingwood accent. It was I've like, got this thick Calls Hood accent. <laughs> Being from Cherry Hill, an entire world away, you Entirely, wouldn't be able to yeah, yeah, yeah. It's understand my different. thick I, I can't understand your indigenous speak. It's it's really strange to me, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's, you know. And I love you anyway, <laughs> even though you and your elitist Cherry Hill ways... <laughs> Uh, 1970 is Stray Cat Rock, Delinquent Girl Boss, and um, Scorpion. It is funny. It's interesting. If you know about these movies, there's nothing strange about me saying to you, oh, yeah, we're going to do Stray Cat Rock, Delinquent Girl Boss. But if you are unaware, this is the most random collection of words it, I could be stringing yeah, together. Yeah, for sure. It definitely sounds funny. It's They both star uh, Meiko Kaji. Uh, who is uh, in Lady Snowblood? Yeah, uh, Blind Woman's Curse, mm-hmm. Seven Women in Prison. That was yeah, the yeah, series yeah, yeah. That she'd done. So, um, y'all might remember we did a we basically did a Michael Kaji uh, double feature when we did Lady Snowblood one and two. Oh we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We she promised then that we would come back to this topic. Though honestly, we did it in a roundabout way because I just in general was interested. There's these two films are considered two of the better versions. Not better, but but one of the two of the highest versions of uh, a genre from Japan you could you could refer to as pinky violence. Pinky violence. Yeah, just, Liam actually presented me with the when we were trying to figure out what we were going to discuss, what our topic was going to be. You're like, oh, how about pinky violence? I was like, pinky violence. What is, what is this? Wait, but, but as soon as I named some movies, you knew. Yeah, about I was like, these oh, right, 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 right. The, the, the idea of pinky, you might be thinking something more lewd than is in, than is intended. Which these are basically uh, violent Japanese exploitation movies that feature female characters. Right, right. Now, of course, being exploitation movies with female characters, are they sometimes lewd? I'm sure. They're, oh yeah, for these, sure. These movies actually represent two extremes. Delinquent girl boss. Pretty tame comparatively. For this genre. Yeah, comparatively, definitely uh, not as like misogynistic or yeah, or yeah, just yeah. like straight lecherous and kind of gross. Yeah. Fe- Whereas female, female scorpion pres- or female prisoner seven hundred one is pretty rough. I I would say it is rough. It's as it's as sort of like sexy male gazy as you can get right before you get gross. Right. Like I don't okay. think this is gross. But I think that it is right up to the edge. And then once you go, if someone saw that and was like, let's take it to the next level. Whoa, you're like, yeah, yeah. All yeah, right. Talk, yeah, really? We're going like, over the edge the now. Plan? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and to be fair, you know, I'm pretty okay with the, the completely unnecessary nudity. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, uh, while it is, you know, to some extent misogynistic in that we're not seeing a lot of dong. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're only seeing these these women. Mm-hmm. I think in this film, it's mostly done in like a spirit of fun of the times of like, who oh, suddenly we're not going to go to jail if we show nudity. Let's do it. <laughs> so yeah. like, it, it I didn't find it that bad. I I I think there's though the thing that I 
that we both struggle with is the sexual violence aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, it's fucked. Uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But I think in this movie it's not too bad. But I do think if you if we tell you about these two movies and you're into it and then you go to check out the genre in general, mm-hmm. I you know Pinky Violence or Pinky, yeah. Yeah, Pinky Violence. I think the whole genre probably comes with a trigger warning of like yeah, if, if you're not and I, again, not that I think I think you could find stuff 20 times as bad in any number of American films, mm-hmm. especially like straight to DVD movies of the 2000s. Yeah. A lot, a lot of rapey, a lot yeah. of rapiness in those movies. Uh, but I think in these movies, there's, there tends to be some amount of sexual violence because it, it was such a cheap way for dudes to justify violent women. Right. How do we get a woman on screen massacring people or maybe not massacre, but hurting people and we don't feel mad at her? Or bad for the people getting hurt. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's an it's easy like an way easy to way get to there. just revert to that. Yeah, um, like revenge. But I don't think it's it doesn't feel cheap to me in this movie. Mm-hmm. But if someone was like, "Oh, I like that. Let me get more movies like that," it might get to that place. So that's yeah. sort of like a pre warning to you. Yeah, but be this careful. is also something, tread lightly. But this is something we wanted to do, partly because of her. Yeah, but also. Uh, we're, this is new for us. We're neither one of us, even though I suggested it. Neither one of us came into this like, oh like, yeah, I'm very oh, yeah. familiar with Have all of these all films. these movies. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I no. own thanks to Arrow sending out promo discs. I have the whole Stray Cat, Girl Rock collection. Yeah, like there's like I haven't six watched or seven movies, a right? single yeah. one of them. This is the first one <laughs> I've watched. And by the way, I didn't even watch it on the Blu-ray <laughs> that I have because it's in a big pile. So I just watched it on on, on um, a thing that we have. Yeah. No, I think I watched it on um, Prime. I saw it. Yeah, on Amazon Prime. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, hey, it's what it is. But we're gonna get into that in a little bit. Well, now it's time for our. Uh, <laughs> our uh, There's a thing we do right here, isn't there? It's like a it's a signature We've done it feature maybe, uh, a segment times. Oh, crazy! We have done it a hundred times. <laughs> I believe this segment is called. Whacking on track. track. <laughs> I literally just got a text like right before we st- were about to say whacking on track. Yeah. So you did the intake of breath, and I went, "Oh wait, he's waiting <laughs> on me." <laughs> Sorry. See that? That's the uh, the eye signaling. That's what it's like to be in a band, Liam. I don't know if you know. No, the eye signaling. It was totally. good. It's good. I know you can't see it because I don't have very big eyes, but that's what happened just now, listener. That's what it is. I was gonna make an eye joke too, but I was gonna make it about your glasses. Ah oh, man, uh, I'm not racist. Yeah, yeah, but no, you, you should be. If I were to say it, it would be racist. White supremacy. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. It's actually not racist when I say it. But okay. anyway, uh, so Liam, what have you done recently that was whack, and or on track? Oh man, I wish I had a ton of stuff to talk about, but I only have a few things. So let me go into the few things I have to talk about. First off, I went to a little event recently. At the Mahoning? At the Mahoning. I've actually done a few things at the Mahoning since we last recorded, because we haven't recorded for... A month. like Literally a month. <laughs> so uh, the ones I want to highlight, I did Camp Blood. Oh, man. Dude, can we just give a, a big up to our man from Exhumed? Yes. Dan, yes. dressed like a camp counselor yes. with the mustache yes. and the bucket hat? Are you yes. kidding me? Yes. And the shorty shorts? Did he have booty shorts on, too? Yeah, he does that every... That's oh. an outfit every year, yeah. I did not know. I've never been. So when you I saw the have, pictures, you still have never been to the drive-in, and I am personally insulted at that. As well, you should be, because implied to me going to the drive-in is somehow going to your house, and you know, anything. it's been four years <laughs> is that of all? drive-in excitement. Oh, maybe man. five, maybe five, but I think four. 
right. four years and you have not made the effort. Nary not once. Nary not yeah, once. But I will. I'll you're make missing it. Out. You're I'll missing make it. Out. Don't worry about it. So Camp Blood was it was fun. I've been to the drive in the same amount of times as you've seen Cross Keys play. You motherfucker. <laughs> but go on. You motherfucker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Camp Blood was cool, but I was actually about to mention real weird weekend. Uh, let me just say about Camp Blood. Big ups to Exhumed for being the, the the hosts of the first sellout crowd for the Mahoney. What? Yep, they never sold it out before. I don't know that it ever sold out in its history, and they sold it out for Camp Blood. That's at least amazing. The first uh, but I will say, that's a lot of people. It was a little too many people for me. Yeah, was it claustrophobic feeling? Did you feel like Ugh. it's just it's hard? It just feels like there's a lot of people. It's not a small space; it's a big space. It can yeah. accommodate a lot of people. But for me, it was just a, a little overwhelming. And what is I your driving just, movie style? Do you stay in the car? Or do you no, yo, y'all. If you stay in the car, fuck you. <laughs> you stay in the car because it's raining or because it's like extremely cold. Right. Otherwise, you should be on a comfy camp Lawn chair. Lawn chair. Yeah. 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 Get a comfy one. Don't just do a regular. Camp and bug chair. sprayed. Bug sprayed with a radio. I have a radio in my car right now just because of the driving. Is that what that CD player thing is in there? Yeah, it's a radio for the oh, driving. Oh, wow. I the, saw the CD player. The I was fact, like, whoa, Liam is going fact old that you skew. The fact that you didn't know that just shows how uncultured you are. It's true. It's true. Everyone I'm a roof, have sir. a radio in their car for the Just driving. in case you end up at the Delcy Drive-In. Or any driving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sit outside. I usually have... A pair of swants in the car in case you get Oh, my chilly. God. I thought about the fact that you used the word swants today. Uh, a, big up to our a, girl, Kay. And a blanket that shit is awesome. in the car. I have a blanket and swants in the car and a hoodie, for that <laughs> matter. Uh, and then, I, you know, in the past, I would hit up the snack counter. Recently, I've been trying not to eat too late at night, so uh-huh. I haven't been hitting up the snack counter. But Mahoning has quality snacks. Nice. So it was Camp Blood. I only stayed for one movie because I just was wrecked. And I yeah. just couldn't, I couldn't make it happen. Um. And I started to watch Motel Hell, and I kind of fell asleep. So I do love that movie, though. Yeah, yeah. And then Real Weird Weekend, the first night I was able to go. I wish I could. Wait, wait. What were the other movies that they showed at Camp Blood? Camp Blood. At least night one was uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Amazing. Motel Hell. Nice. And then what was after that? Maybe Prom Night. Oh wow. Um, which is not a camp movie. I don't know why they showed it, but still it heavy hitter. Still like that movie. It's still, what is what it is. And then. Um, I went to the first night of Real Weird, which was Remote Control oh. and uh, Videodrome. Uh, and then the Videodrome with the drive-in must have been intense. Yeah, it was. I fell asleep for a little bit, ju- but that's not because the movie isn't great. I just um, I was tired. was very tired. I'm just, y'all, it's hard for me to do <laughs> super late anything anymore. Like, I'm supposed to go to this show tonight, and I'm probably going to fall asleep in the venue because <laughs> late nights are just not my vibe at no. the moment. That being said... I did real weird. And the second night, I wish I could have gone. It was Phantom of the Paradise. Oh. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. So sick. Yeah, but I couldn't I couldn't go two nights in a row. I just can't do it right. with my life anymore. It's just right, nothing. Right, right. But, you know, those are just two weekends of what have been great weekends at the Mahoning. I've seen a bunch of other stuff there I really liked. Again, it is hard for me to stay too late, but mm. um, all the times I've gotten to go this summer have been fun. But I, I brought up the real weird night because there's a bunch of Cinepunks people there I was with. Adriana Gober and nice. Justin Lohr and Mike Paulshock was there and um, uh, Sam Deegan and her uh, uh, partner were there and your man Steve Dyer was there. Oh, nice. 
Um, so yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of cool people, and I didn't even see everyone there who I knew. I found out later other people there who I didn't even see. So sounds like fun though. Yeah, it was cool. It was big ups to everyone who made it out for that, and for Camp Blood, and for all the other stuff I I was able to do. I I was able to vend at um the Howard the Duck screening and at the um Schlockerama. Nice. Um. So yeah, it was good. It was cool. I I it was great at Schlockerama. They showed Equinox and I was oh, Equinox shirt. That's so awesome. That cool. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So. Uh, those were all great. Um, I also, yeah, to be a little more relevant, I saw a little movie in the thea- theaters. Never heard of it. In the theaters uh-huh. called um, Blinded by the Light. Oh, yeah. Getting you the- love Springsteen, too, so this must have been this amazing for you. This is the deal. Well, so you saw it, too, right? I did. And you liked it? I did. For you, the major connection was uh, the sort of immigrant story, yeah. brown people in a white context. Right. I kind of identified with that a little bit. I mean, no, for me, it was the fandom aspect of it. Well, true, true, true. That, so that, for, that as well. Uh, th- listeners, I'm not sure if you know of this movie. It's called Blinded by the Light. It is about a uh, Pakistani boy in England who falls in love with Bruce Springsteen and uses his fandom of Springsteen to motivate him yes. through his life. And uh, it's funny because he's a working class Pakistani man in uh, in England who dreams of Monmouth County, New Jersey, Sure, and uh, his idol Bruce Springsteen. Whereas to me, the resonance was the fact that like, um, not being Pakistani, but being Filipino in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and dreaming of England with Morrissey being my yeah. my Springsteen, yeah. I felt the uh, the connection and the consequent freedom that comes from finding a music that you feel speaks only to you to be like the most resonant part of this movie. Yo, if you could you imagine if you had fallen in love with Springsteen instead, you could still love him. I know, and stay in New Jersey. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be great. Uh, but you know, yeah. So I, you know, I, I really loved it. I understand people who might have found it a little too saccharine. It's definitely some rose-colored glasses type stuff. Yes, but real, real triacle, sugary, whatever. However, it's it's I, such a fun movie. Here's the thing: I really enjoyed it just at any level, but I'm also a big Springsteen fan, and it yeah, was, it, there's just a lot of. Uh, uh, I think it was Adriana, but someone who I am friends with described it as a bit emotionally manipulative, mm-hmm. uh, even as they also found themselves crying and whatever from it. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of like, well, I felt a little jerked around by the movie because and of the Springsteen songs and no all just to, just the plot in general that it was a, it was a little cheap they felt oh again I I'm saying I thought it was Adriana it might not have been her it might have been someone else but that's mm. who I thought was saying it someone was saying this to me right. and my response was actually I completely agree and yet it was a jerking around I did not resent in any way, shape, yeah, or form. It is a 100% along for the ride kind of uh, manipulation for me because, yeah. dude, the movie is like, it's a very honest story about connection with a family, ultimately. I mean, I think and for me, th- there's also uh, having someone connect Springsteen's lyrics to something that's a little more, I say relevant. I'm from Jersey. Yeah. And yet his struggle in the film is... Um, partly about being in this very racist context, but also about economic freedom. Yes, and and opportunity. Those two things. The yeah. the am I allowed to have dreams if I'm poor, and the fucked up white people thing mm. were a little easier for me to connect to than 
what I think is really President Springsteen's music sometimes is more of like a white resentment, mm-hmm. you know, which I don't always get. I get it a little bit, you know, but yeah. seeing it recontextualized helped me when I already love those songs, you know. Mm-hmm. Also, I think his obsession in the film, it's funny because he's sort of put in opposition to the punks around him, mm-hmm. but his obsession is much more punk than any Springsteen yeah. fan. You know what I mean? Like For watching sure. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, just replace Springsteen with any punk whatever. <laughs> and that's kind of what this movie is about. Now, it's yeah. not because this is based on a true story. This dude fucking exists. They show yeah. you at the end pictures of, of the him real and life Springsteen. obsessive yeah. dude who still follows Springsteen around even now. That Springsteen wrote a song for him. Yeah. With the advent of this movie. Yeah. And it's like, it's brutal. Because like, if you hear it, it's, it feels like it's right to you. Yeah. It's... Oh man! I mean, here's the thing. I gotta say, as a Springsteen fan, and not a huge. I mean, compared to real Springsteen fans, I'm not a Springsteen fan. But I'm. I don't usually become an obsessive fan of anything. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that I own six, seven, eight. I own eight Springsteen records, <laughs> and I listen to them somewhat regularly. In my world, that's fucking Pretty huge. Big There's fan nobody right there yeah, for yeah, Liam. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, and so. Um, for me, I loved it, but I, then I felt somewhat vi- vindicated that you, a not Springsteen fan, also enjoyed the movie because yeah. you're kind of eh on Springsteen. Well, that's the thing, right? Because like you know, growing up in New Jersey and specifically Central New Jersey, sure, Springsteen was as ubiquitous as like you know Capizios and freestyle music and like sure. this horrible. I also love freestyle music. Just saying. Yeah, but you understand that the implication of that right. in like the early '90s was definitely antithetical to the punk rock thing that we right. were all going for right so like it was always like in opposition to what i like you know it was the majority but that said after watching this movie i purposely went back and listened to the river and i listened to darkness at the edge of town yeah. and i see things in it now that i maybe didn't see in my lusty like i just want to hate things that all these right. other white dudes love you know well I mean? and to so. be to be fair my appreciation of Springsteen was was at first very guilt-ridden because i was like why do I like this? This fucking <laughs> jerk off, you know, kind of American s music, whatever. But it was pretty young that someone I knew was like, "Oh no, the thing about Springsteen is that he is the ultimate." Like him, in spite of his fans, because right. a lot of people just didn't bother to listen to the lyrics to get the full implication. They just wanted to clap their hands and dance like Courtney Cox, or right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that happened for me pretty young in college. Was when someone was like, "You need to give." Springsteen another chance Mm -hmm. and then when I did it was pretty quickly I'd say like probably like 2001 Mm -hmm. when I was getting pretty involved in like anti-war movement stuff was when I sort of rediscovered Springsteen for myself and found a lot of stuff there that like I really enjoyed you know that's fair Um, fair. so uh, I still I I still think some of the stuff that in the movie he loves he really is moved by the love song stuff Mm -hmm. Love song stuff for Springsteen is a little hit or miss for me still. See, I still love like Tougher Than the Rest. I think yeah. that's a great song. Yeah. Um, th- and that's the thing, like going back to the Springsteen catalog now after having seen this movie, it's definitely more euphemist to me. But also I'm 41 now, whereas the first time I was exposed to it, I was a teenager. And again, a shitty tasteful. Like I loved like if it wasn't Green Day, I wasn't having it. You know what I mean? Sure, like sure, that was sure, not my sure, vibe. Sure, sure, sure. But um I definitely still I mean, like, of course, I'll always love Billy Bragg. He'll always be my Springsteen compared to everybody yes. else. Yes. But um I definitely have a newfound respect for this man's catalog because of this movie. 
I appreciate that. So there you go. On track for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, uh, the only other thing I, I made an effort that I think it's worth talking about, I made an effort to see in the theater was uh, The Farewell. Oh, I really yeah. felt like Did I, you like it or I no? needed to see it. So I went on my way to go see it with Suze. We took a day off and just went to go see it. And uh, I really loved it. I oh my God. really loved I it. I adored that movie. I saw it on a screener with uh, Asian American Film Festival. And um, well, they were in attendance in addition to the allied people. And um, during the movie, right at the scene of the party at the end, you know, um, the dude sitting next to me opened up his phone and started fucking with his phone. And I was already like weeping, like tears running oh, down my sure, cheeks. Sure, weeping. Sure, sure, sure. So I turned to the dude and I was like, dog, you have to turn that phone off or there's going to be a real problem right now. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then he turned his phone off and I just went right back to crying. <laughs> just like cool thanks <gasps> the movie is so good i adore that movie so much what did you think yeah it's so what's funny is i went in having heard a bunch of people talking about it because there's a bunch of movie podcasts i love that even if they're talking about something i haven't seen i can't i can't stay away okay and so i went in with more information than i wanted to have mm including hearing an interview or not an interview, but a conversation with the woman who originally did the NPR story. Oh, that right, it's based right, on. right, right. And hearing her say, for those of you who don't know in the, at the end of the movie, they reveal, uh, that she, the, the main character or not the main character, the, the grandmother. grandmother character still didn't know. Yeah. Right. But you figure, well, she must have known after that, though, right? Because that movie's coming out. Yeah. And on this NPR thing, she revealed, no, that whenever Grandma watches the movie, if she ever watches the movie, that will be the reveal. <laughs> no one has yet told her. That she was suffering some horrific disease. No. Yeah. They still haven't told her. And so I went in with that. So I kind of thought, well, I'm going to see this movie, and I know it's going to be moving, but it's a little, little messed up for me. And... and having some amount of spoiler it's not really spoiler because there's no drama but some amount of spoiler had no effect every it had no impact it literally the movie was just as amazing as it would have been anyway yeah and not only that the comment i kept hearing people make was that the movie was not as funny as they thought that because oh because aquafina was in it they thought it was going to be a straight comedy and then they were kind of surprised though not unpleasantly surprised because all their things i'd heard were positive that it was more of a drama. Well, I went in expecting then more of a drama, and that shit is really funny. It is. It's not that it's not melancholy or that no. it's not dramatic or that Aquafina doesn't give you the performance you didn't know she was capable of, especially because some of her comedy I think is a little offensive because mm-hmm. I don't like all of her sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, African English, you know, African American English, whatever, you know, yeah. she uh, occasionally is caping a little too hard for me mm-hmm. in a way that I find offensive. Not offensive, but just okay. Questionable. Okay, yeah. Aquafina, <laughs> I get it. You had some black friends, but this is a little much. You're going a little overboard. So then to see her in this role where she turns in, for me, the maybe the performance of the year or one of the performances of the right, year, right. it's beautiful, it's intelligent, it's. Just everything it's I want. Honest. It's yes. so brutally honest. Yes. Like there's a sequence in this movie where she is talking about how it felt when she moved 
from Korea to the United States and the thought of loneliness and fear that she had. And she just starts crying as she's telling her mom what it was that she went through and the sensation that she went through this on her own. And I felt that shit right in my chest. Yes. It was such a great sequence. And it was, she was so good in that role. Yes. Oh, my God. What a movie. Yeah. So that's it for me as far as whack. Nothing that was so whack that I feel like it's worth commenting on. Fair enough. Um, oh, one more on track. Well, okay, I got a good one. Started off whack, moving towards on track. And first listen, I kind of hated the new ceremony record. Oh. On a couple listens, it's actually starting to grow on me, and I think I might like it, which oh. I was not expecting. So right now it's medium, but it might be moving towards on track. Okay, fair enough. How about you, buddy? Um, let me think. I did a couple things. One of the things that uh, I want to uh, put up that is totally on track is that my beautiful wife, Milani, graduates tomorrow from the Temple Fox School of Business with her MBA. So um, that is one of the things that I'm so happy about and so proud about. And um, it's so cool, man. I think she's doing awesome stuff and I'm really happy and really proud of her. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to the graduation tomorrow. And that's going to be pretty interesting. The other on-track things that I've done, uh, I've done a couple things here and there. Uh, another on-track thing that I have done recently is that Melania and I went to New York City to go to the Hudson Theater to see a little play called Seawall, okay. A Life. And it is starring um, uh, Tom Sturridge and Jake Gyllenhaal. And it is basically uh, two uh, monologues done by these actors uh, about loss and life and it was cathartically loose and wonderful um, they're two separate stories and it's each of the these actors coming out and then just kind of telling the story with subtle like stage effects and a couple of lighting things but like it's a very bare bones production and I did not know how much of a theater nerd Jake Gyllenhaal was or um the Tom Sturgis guy, who's a British actor, it's been in a bunch of things that I that a lot of people love, but I don't know anything about. Um, watching them do these performances live and uh, as as brutal as they were, they were so so good. So um, I did that totally on track. Um, another on track thing that I've done recently is I saw the movie It Chapter Two. Last oh night. my gosh, I can't believe you saw it last night. I'm so bad. I did see it last night, and um, I will say without any spoilers, I enjoyed it. There are a couple things that were it, it was um a long movie. It's like two hours and like forty minutes, something like that. Um but otherwise I thought it was really good. And uh if you enjoyed the first one, you're definitely gonna enjoy it. and if you're a Stephen King fan, you're definitely gonna enjoy this one. It's definitely self aware enough that um it's it has elements of uh just bare like self referential joy to it, which I appreciate to a degree. And um yeah, overall, I thought it was really fun. So um, I will not spoil it for you, but uh, go see it this weekend if you can. Awesome. Um, another on-track thing is that I Cross Keys, my band, we shot a video, which will be hopefully releasing in the middle of this month for the song Everything Breaks. And That's then very cool. Also today, uh, we had started pre-orders for the record. So Also very um, cool. Our record is called Saviors, and it will be out on Hellminded Records. So if you go to hellminded.com or hellmindedrecords.com, you can pre-order. And uh, it's got beautiful art by Jeremy Dean, and it was recorded um, this past May. I think it's really, really good. I think it's the best stuff that I've ever written musically. 
And uh, I can't wait for the world to hear it. Newnoise.com, New Noise Magazine also released um, another song off of it today for an exclusive stream. It's the song Times of Grace, which is um, about Philadelphia hardcore. It's about my friend Grace. It's about us. It's about everything. So uh, check it out. And um, I think it's uh, really good. Um, so that was on track. Whack, I had seen the movie Peanut Butter Falcon, which is the oh new man. Shia LaBeouf movie. Oh, man. Not so much a fan. I'm going to say it. I saw it with... Uh, fellow podcasters uh dan scully and melani and dan and, and his girl jenna and um there are a couple things about the screen that was completely difficult uh situationally number one the movie was co-sponsored by the film society and by um the people who are uh, it was the um, down syndrome support society in philadelphia sure um and so there were a lot of uh people who were afflicted with dan's that were at the screening and um, it was such a thing where they had the film society um, rows reserved, right? And um, the rest was for you know everybody else that had came through the through the endowment or through the society for people with Down syndrome. And there was a whole family that had two people in it that were affected by Down syndrome, and they were they got there to the screening when they did, and most of the movie was filled up. There was a lot of people there. And um, the only available row for all of them, because there were one family, there's a lot of people in this family, was in the second row, which in this theater at the Boris, or at the Ritz 5, I believe, is just a little close to the screen. So they had asked um, the people in the row behind them, which is the row in front of us, if they could switch seats because, you know, there was like they couldn't see and like they had children with them. And uh, it was a row of the uh, Film Society people, and those people denied them. They were like, no, we should have got here sooner. So then me and Melani and um, the people in our row, we switched with the row in the second row so that they could all sit where we were, which is like the row behind them, like the fourth row from the front, which still wasn't exactly the furthest away or best vantage point. But come on, man, like, dude, yeah. you know, it just it, it was one of those things where it definitely made me feel like, you know, this is a problem that like these elite moviegoers like just don't really see any connection to what it is that they're about to see. You know what I mean? And it was really frustrating for that. For I mean, like, how can you just not be kind? It seems particularly cruel within the context of what you're watching. Yeah, so that happened. Uh, that said, I also thought that the movie was bad. Um, it kind of goes really heavy. And so the story is that um, this kid who is affected with Down syndrome, he is, um, and the, the person playing the character actually has Down syndrome. He is somehow stuck in a residential retirement home and his roommate is Bruce Dern, and he has this one video cassette of um, his favorite wrestler, which is uh, the redneck something. It's like the redneck wrestler. I forget his name. But it's played by Thomas Hayden Church. And uh, he spends all his nights watching this videotape of a uh, wrestling school that Thomas Hayden Church teaches at, and he can teach you how to be a pro wrestler. And then it becomes he, he escapes from this home, and he goes on this sojourn down the coast, to try and make it to this school for wrestlers sure and along the way he meets up with shia labeouf who's kind of a grifter kind of a piece of shit and he's like this rogue and he takes it upon himself to uh, make sure that this person gets to the wrestling school and right. becomes a wrestler and all this so right. it's like this wish fulfillment kind of a huckleberry finn story because they're on yeah. a raft and they're going down to and um i appreciate the movie for certain things number one i appreciate the fact that they actually hired a, an actor with Down syndrome to play a character with Down syndrome. I feel that that's good. You know, it's not Gilbert Graping or anything like this. Um, I appreciate the fact that um, 
the movie does have an honest sense of uh, adventure to it and stuff like this. But um, overall, I think that the movie does a great disservice to the population that it supposes to support. And um, I find that to be very frustrating from the perspective of someone who is a caregiver of special populations. The movie uh, definitely has uh, Dakota Johnson in the role of like a social worker that works at the home that this kid is at. And um, she goes on the chase to find him after he escapes and all this other stuff. It just it, it seems to be like this whole like uh, concept of like, oh, well, these these establishments don't know what these people need. They're just in it for this money that they get from Big Pharma that, like, you know, they use by pumping these people full of drugs that they don't need, so on and so forth. And uh, I feel as though that it, that is more damaging to this population than liberating because it implies that all these things are arbitrary, that they are just, like, things that someone put upon people as opposed to being actually medical things that help people who are afflicted in this way. So um, there's a lot of the movie that I found to be problematic. There's one scene where um, she is talking to both... Shia LaBeouf and and the kid and she's like what about your medication and Shia LaBeouf is like he doesn't want it he doesn't need it he's not going to take it which is like supposed to be this like yeah like scene you know where you're supposed to be like oh yeah way to go but it's like actually medicine exists to make people's lives better and without them it would be worse so I don't understand why that's like the liberating note in this symphony you know what I mean like I feel it, it just fe it felt very not appropriate to me and um yeah that also you know representation matters right and i made the point that there are two characters of color there are two black people in this movie the one guy is the snitch that tells all the other bad dudes where our man shia labeouf is so they sure. can go kick his ass yeah and the other guy is an actual blind man who baptizes shia labeouf and the kid in a river and he's like come to jesus come to the river and he holds a baptism in this river that they're rafting down and I was just like, dude, this shit is fucked up, man. Sure. So, yeah, uh, two thumbs down on that one. I did not appreciate it, and that was whack. Well, that was our whacking on track. Check so. out the things we liked and don't <laughs> check out the things we didn't like. Yeah, please. Try not to see the things that we thought were whack. <laughs> but things that we were on track, definitely get in on that stuff. Well, this episode is focused on uh, two films in the pinky violence genre. Yep, uh, which I didn't know was a thing until Liam brought it up to me. Uh, but also a follow-up on our obsession with uh, Miko Kaji. Yeah, and, who and is the, the star of Lady Snowblood and Lady Snowblood 2. Yeah, uh, so stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. Uh, the sick tunes, whatever they're going to be, which we haven't decided yet. And uh, then we'll be talking about Stray Cat Rock, Delinquent, Delinquent Girl, Girl, Boss, Girl Boss, and Female Prisoner 701, Scorpion. Scorpion, after the break. <laughs>
you're back. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know what? I will be uh, completely transparent with our audience. Um, we're going to start uh, with our discussion of these two films. They both star uh, Mako Kaji. <laughs> Maiko? Mako Kaji? Mako Kaji. And we 100% were just searching on the internet to try to figure out how to pronounce it right. I still don't know if we have it right. Let's just own that for all y'all. We yeah. don't know how to pronounce it correctly. If we're wrong, feel free to tell us. But the internet told us it's Mako Kaji. So Mako Kaji. There should be a sample right here of how it's said <laughs> via the internet. <laughs> yeah. Mako Kaji. Mako Kaji. Um, we'll start just chronologically, partly because uh, this Stray Cat Girl Rock movie, um, it you know, it, it was designed to actually be a promo for a very popular singer at the time mm-hmm. uh, who, who plays this. Now, so just real quick, uh, let's do a brief recap. So we talked about two. We watched two movies in preparation for this right. episode, both starring Mako Kaji. Um, in the first movie that we're going to talk about, it's called Delinquent. Uh, it's called Stray Cat Rock, Delinquent Girl Boss. Um, Meiko Kaji is not the main star of the movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Akiko Wada, who plays, uh, right? That's the one, right? Sorry, Jacob, you might want to edit that out. No, no, leave it. That's right. Oh yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, cool. Um, Akiko Wada was is like a pop star of the time, and she was the main uh, character in the movie. And um, she very clearly was outshined by Meiko Kaji, who is um, awesome in this. I thought she was wonderful in this movie. And we also talked about another movie of hers called um, Female Prisoner Number 701, Scorpion. And uh, that's more of a uh, prison female story than this one. It's not as... uh, I will say it's not as fun as this one. I definitely had much more fun with the Stray Cat Rock Delinquent Girl Boss. But um, yeah, that's what we will be talking about right now. (laughs) <laughs> so uh yeah basically the 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 plot is there's this nationalist group right uh and the nationalist group is starting to get involved with these various biker gang types as sort of a way to to um sort of enforce their will on the street right a la uh-huh. what w- what would eventually happen in the 80s with the national front watching this <laughs> it was funny because i i tend to because of the situation we're in politically mm-hmm. i th- hear nationalism and i think Nazis, white supremacy, mm-hmm. but actually nationalism as an idea happened in a few other places. I mean, why do we think Japan got in bed with the Nazis during World War II? Because mm-hmm. there was some of that idea of like, we're superior. And so this is, uh, after the war, there were still political organizations that had some version of the emperor's pretty cool, yeah. fighting is pretty cool. And so when they first start, though, you see this organization, and I wasn't thinking they were a nationalist group. I thought they were Yakuza, mm. but they were quoting all this weird stuff that I was like, that doesn't sound like shit Yakuza talk about. Yeah. So I actually had to figure out on the internet, like, oh, they're like a <laughs> nationalist group. Yeah. So they had like some type of um, um, like letters that stood for them. I forget what it was, though. I, they, yeah. they were like a group government sponsored group thing. Um, but basically what they were doing was they were contracting... Um, help from biker gangs yeah so and these gangs are already in sort of a a lot of rivalry with each other Mm -hmm. uh and so there's an all-girl gang that's led by may who's played by michael kaji Mm -hmm. uh and they're 
in this situation because May's boyfriend, uh, Michio, wants to join this organization, which on Letterboxd, they call it a Yakuza organization, but doing a little more research, it's it's not. It's it's more a like a political... Yeah. It's not government, because the government was not internationalism at the time, because post-World War II. Oh, right, right, But right, this right, was right. like a, a right-leaning group or whatever. So the, the point is, he wants to join this other group. It involves uh, a, a rival biker gang, and things sort of heat up because this uh, large... Boxer. independent um, character named Akko starts to raise some of the pressure. Right, right. And, right. Uh, yeah, you. Were, so I was about to get there. And so then her boyfriend, in order for him to join this organization, Michio is asked to influence the boxer. Who's, what's, do you remember the boxer's name? Uh, I don't. I just remember looking at him being like, look at that curly hair. Well, he's he's part black. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so yeah. Part, of, part of what's at stake here, I think, is that he's meant to lose... This is where the nationalism thing comes into play. He's meant to lose because he's American slash black. So, uh, you know, there was a military base in the town. This is set in um, uh, Shinjuku, uh, in which there is this U.S. military base. So there were some people of mixed race. And to be fair, this isn't the only movie. A few of these movies dealt with the presence of folks who are of mixed race because of the American presence. So here, what we're saying here, this is a complicated thing. It's less sharp in this movie, but it's in some of the other movies, which is that on one hand, they don't like this guy because he's black. Yeah. On the other hand, they don't like this guy because he's American. So these are two different issues, right? Mm. The black thing could be tied to sort of worldwide anti-blackness. The American thing is we just crushed them in a war. Mm. So one is a sympathetic thing. I get why they might not be really stoked on American people. <laughs> on the other hand, it's like a uh, you guys are starting to play into some of this whiteness issue that's going yeah. on. I mean, whatever. Anyway, his name is uh, Kelly. Played so, by an actor named Ken Sanders. Kelly is a very good boxer, mm-hmm. and they want Kelly to throw a fight. They want him to lose. They to want him to lose. So, And his best friend is uh, Echo's uh, boyfriend. Michio. Michio. And so um, this is like the central issue here. But there's already pressure because Akko, who's the person who's played by this pop star. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to bring up Akko and just pause there before we talk about the rest of the plot here is that um, Akko is a large woman. Yeah, wears a lot of denim and rides a motorcycle. And characters are continually questioning Akko's gender slash sex slash sexuality. And in fact, the movie seems to suggest that part of Akko's motivation might be a crush on May. Yeah, But it never clarifies that. And it continually troubles her gender. And she is the in some ways, hero of the film. It's really easy for us to focus on uh, Miko, Miko Kaji. Miko because Kaji, because she's, she's, A, the reason we're watching this movie, yeah, really. And she's like just this like willowy, beautiful woman. And she became night. a bit of a star later, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, I mean, think about what we're, we're saying to you. They made this movie partly because uh, of this character, Akko. So they were hoping to cash in on this pop star playing... A kind of a queer character. Yeah. If you told me we we're going to watch a 60s, 70s, this is 70s, right? Mm-hmm. 1970, yeah. A, a 70s Japanese film that would have a queer, positive queer character in it, I would say no such thing. Yeah, 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 for but sure. But that's what's going on in this film, right? That's totally what's going on in this film. And it's like a subtext that isn't exactly subtle either. Like, No. There are some very like obvious bits. Like there's the scene when... um. Uh, 
when May and Michio are like Michio gets beat up by the Seiyu group and then they run away and May and him are like kind of comforting each other and uh, our girl Akko is like in the background and she just kind of breaks into song. It's such a strange scene in this movie to me. It felt so jarring almost, mm. but um, that it's like a love song that she sings and it's kind of uh, ambiguous who she's singing to if it's it's a song to May or to Michio. And there's all kinds of comments. At one point, someone says something like, something like, oh, you're a woman. Yeah. I yeah, thought yeah, you were yeah, a man. Sure. And, and, and she like fights a lot of people in this movie. Yeah. And she's like throwing haymakers left and right, knocking out yeah. all these like she, biker she, gangster when, dudes. When this person calls her a woman, she questions the person. Person, she's like, "Who are you calling a woman?" Right. Yeah. So there's this there's this idea in which, again, I'm not saying this is a trans liberatory movie or some crazy no, stuff for sure. But there's but definitely some gender fluidity in yeah, terms of the roles and, in this. And 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 she's the hero. Like that's part of the thing here. Is like, it's it's that I, I'm trying to get it here. She's the hero. When I say she's the hero, um, this movie, th- this means some suits. They made this movie with two things in mind. One is we're going to make this giant woman who's a pop star, mm-hmm. we're going to make her an even bigger star by having her in this movie. Yeah, having her be the star of this movie. Can you imagine from someone at that time putting another, like, I'm trying to think of a similar pop star that would like have worked. Tiffany and Debbie Gibson in a movie. Yeah, together. we're in the yeah. 80s. You know, we're going to put Tiffany in a movie to make her an even bigger star. She plays a giant queer woman who beats up men. <laughs> uh, not so sure that's going to fly. Right? going to be and, honest with you. Not so sure it's going to fly. And then the other thing here, which I think is also really interesting and worth talking about, is that um, this is a rip-off movie. Yeah, it's this a, is basically a remake, right? Well, not, not necessarily a remake, but it, it's definitely them trying to cash in. So... You guys might remember movies like um, Infernal Affairs. um. Oh, no, no, no. So what I was thinking of, I think you're thinking in a different direction. Mm -hmm. This is more like, um, what's that movie? uh, Another killer shark movie that has the term Jaws in it. Oh, it's uh, like blah, 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 Jaws of Death or something. Right, right, right. Or like Orca or, in other words... This is a movie that's based off of the success of another movie. Yeah, that's based off on a, like uh, a Japanese yakuza movie. Yeah, there's a Japanese movie called Delinquent, delinquent boss. boss. Yeah, the, and, and the idea there should be clear that a delinquent boss is like a young boss who's like doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you've seen this movie. You've seen Delinquent Boss, the original. Right? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's fine. Was it good? It's not great. No, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't hate it either. Right. 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 Um. But this is one of those rare cases where this is a cheap rip. It, it, imagine if we're in a world where Jaws comes out and Jaws does. I think Jaws might be a bad. I'm, that's a bad example. Let's say what's a movie that did okay. Like let's say uh, Escape from New York comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't make a million dollars, but it was mildly influential. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna make a ripoff of yeah. Escape from New York. Female. We're gonna, we're gonna, yeah. We're gonna call it uh, Lady Destroys New York. Something like that. And Snake Puskin is now a lady. Yeah. And then we put out this thing, and it explodes. And it dwarfs and the original. everyone thinks yeah. it's better. And this is one of those classic examples. When, when people talk about, like, why do you even want to talk about exploitation film or about horror films or whatever, sometimes when you talk about movies that were very cheaply made, yeah, you're talking about a movie where the money people, the capital, the bosses... 
let the people making the movie do whatever they wanted yeah. because there wasn't that much investment. And there wasn't that much to go on prior to it. Yeah. The thing. There, this is the beginning of a movement. In a way, yeah. And, so. and, and, and the idea, like, if you're watching this film, some of the things, I don't know if you noticed this, Josh, but I thought the camera work was... Very inventive and very yeah. loose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're using all this, like, weird uh, sort of 60s pop, like, it's rock stuff. It's very much of the time, right? It's very much of the laugh-in, like... Lots of wild lighting and lots of crazy. like wild camera motion. The stuff in the club is crazy. Oh my I mean, god! It's they have actual rock songs in there that are in yes. English by yes. these Japanese rock bands yes. that look like the Monkees or the Beatles or whatever was like big at that time. Yes, and it's it's such a funny thing because you realize that they were gunning for this generational uh, demo, right? Like they were gunning right. for this like. Japanese college age likes rock and roll and like American gangster movies, bikers, like this kind of thing. And um, it's funny how all the intent is there, right? You could you could directly right. see what they're trying to like. Well, it's they're definitely being influenced by those like Roger Corman biker yeah, movies too. For sure. So it's like on one hand, the name when I say it's a ripoff too, what I'm telling you is like the <laughs> plot is its own thing, but they only use the term delinquent girl boss. To, to be reminiscent of the original delinquent boss. Well, and uh, okay, right now, let's say we're okay. gonna we're gonna make a movie, right? Yeah, and we're gonna make you know, Asylum still does these movies where it's like, um, Revengers <laughs> Send Game, right? And they right, put it right, out, right. and it's in a drugstore on Blu-ray for five dollars <laughs> or some shit. Yeah, it's at the Rite Aid on Aramingo. That's part of a long tradition of people doing that, right? Right. But it's more ridiculous now because it's actually brand recognition is actually at the highest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And so the reality that anyone is going to see Revengers and think, oh, shit, I should get that. Avengers. That's the thing everyone's talking about. It's very low. Right. But in 1970, whatever, you know, let's let's even leave this example behind. But like in the 80s, mm-hmm. late 70s, 80s, whatever. Someone's going to the movies. They know there's a shark movie that everyone's talking about, but they're not. What is it called again? <laughs> and they go, and there's the Jaws of Death. They're thinking, <laughs> oh, that's that movie, right? So, in other words, by I mean, think about all the movies that were made with Bruce Lee after Bruce Lee died. Yeah, uh, back in the day, naming something close to something else's name was not just a cheap ripoff, though. That was part of the motivation but it was a smart way to get you your could actually trick seen. people yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you made a low budget whatever and you tricked a few of those people <laughs> were tricked into seeing your movie so the fact that this movie then exceeds and outdoes the thing it's ripping off is crazy and that it spawns this whole series of movies yeah. that are their own thing they're their own cultural phenomenon yeah for sure for sure it's kind of crazy right yeah and th- like that's the other thing that i think is so interesting about this movie that there is no precedent to this that there is no like, I mean, yeah, women in movies and all that stuff, but there is no rock and roll pop star movie vehicle that I'd found before this movie in 1970. Right. That um, And that it's like, it truly is like, in my mind, the essence of filmmaking. It's like very much sure. like, this is what we have and this is what we're going to do and we're going to use this to achieve and, this And thing. that you don't know what you have till it comes, it comes out and you're thinking, good thing we got, you know, that big old singer lady on there <laughs> yeah because she's really going to blow this movie up and then the the audience decides for you that you know, it's this is not about, about yeah that it's not about aiko waja it's about miko kaji yeah and like it's funny because the main character is like it, she's not central to the movie no 
And I, I mean, I don't know. I would call her role in the movie ancillary, but it's definitely like not like the thing that draws your eye the whole time until you realize like, oh wow, Meiko Kaji is actually fucking awesome in this role. And it's of because men. of this role and a couple others that she was able to get something as prestigious as, as like Lady, Lady Snowblood. Snowblood. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. This movie, I think to me, this movie appeals on so many levels. Well, you know, because of the genre we're putting it in, I, I don't want to mislead people like. If you're looking for something super gritty, that's not what this is. No, this is definitely a fun movie. Yeah, the fighting in it, it's not this is not <laughs> this definitely falls into the category when I, I don't know if you had this experience, but when I was a kid, mm. this is probably less likely for you because you are in fact Asian. Right. But the way that my Asian racism came out mm-hmm. was that I was so obsessed with martial arts movies that for a while I would buy all manner of Asian films, <laughs> and then discover that these were not martial arts movies. So, in fact, the first time I watched Battle Royale, uh-huh. which is not not a martial, but it's not what I was looking for. Yeah, it's not exactly. A, uh, I just was like, Chopsaki look, it's, movie. It's, there's Japanese people. They have weapons. This is going to be something I like. Right. I ended up liking it, but it wasn't what I wanted. Yeah, I, get I could that. see someone also going to this film in in the U.S. in that way. They're like. Ugh. Asian girls? This is going to be crazy, you know? <laughs> and it is very fun, and it's actually a very exciting film. But if you're looking for lots of sex in this because of the girls, <laughs> that's not there. If you're looking for, like, gritty intrigue, that's not there. Yeah, or, um, like, wild kung fu sequences. No, not, not in there at all. There's yeah. no assumption that just because you're young and you have a bike that you know how to fight it. <laughs> it's not a surprise. I mean, really, what's-her-name does really well in this because she's just big. Yeah, she, she didn't is, study kung fu or karate. No, nah, she's just swinging these gigantic arms and yeah. legs around and, and knocking out. These and you people. believe it because people go in thinking like, "Oh, it's a la- it's a lady. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a tough dude. What's she gonna do?" And then of course she beats the crap because she's yeah. big in bell bottoms and like yeah. wooden high heels and yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's a wild luck, man. And it's it's not something that I expected in that. Um, I don't think it was made to be affirming of female solidarity. I no, think it's, I don't think it was made to be some type of bastion or beacon of female liberation either. No, but it's, yet it, it's in there a little bit because it, the story it's telling is like yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. yeah. And you know, I haven't seen enough of the. I haven't seen really the rest of these movies yet, <laughs> so I don't really know if this. You is haven't a, seen the other five DVDs that your Blu-rays that you have. Yeah. Well, I started watching Sex Hunter, right? But. uh I didn't finish it, but it, mm. it doesn't seem to have quite the same Punch. edge. As, well, it's also got someone pretending to be Michael, Miko Kaji oh, that is not on. Miko Kaji, so yeah. that is going to bum me out. Any. No. In, in that she's playing the same character with a hat. It's become <laughs> like, you know, the hat and the, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, it, yeah. yeah, it's not. Anyways, point being, um, there is something, I, I almost, not that I prefer it, like I love a, I love a good feminist film, but... The fact that there is all of this kind of like fun female rebellion stuff going on almost entirely unintentionally. That, it feels that, like unintentionally organic. Like it just kind yep. of happened in there. You know yep. what I mean? And uh, it, it gives this movie an, a weird edge of like purity. Yeah. It will, again, uh, female biker film, female gangster Yakuza biker, biker movie. Film. It's trying to squish together alternative culture, Yakuza, nationalism. Race relations, uh, female violence. I mean, literally. That's yeah. You know, literally, there is a blowtorch set to to boobs in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and and yet, even with some of the extremity in the film, at no point are you like, 
oh gosh, this, I feel a little dirty. Yeah, it's like, like yeah, well, this is kind of weirdly upbeat for this kind of <laughs> film. It doesn't know? feel like a gritty Abel Ferrer movie or anything like that. I mean, nothing against our man Abel, but yeah, but yeah, it doesn't feel like that. But overall, I mean, it's funny when you think about movies like Wild Zero, and you think about mm-hmm. like how this DNA is in that very movie. Yes, and like how much of a Japanese pop culture it would appear has uh, influenced and taken influence from this specific genre and strain of movies. Right. Because exactly. It's like, I mean, have you seen Wild Zero recently? <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> I don't think I've watched it since 2007. Yeah. When it, yeah. Okay. Maybe Fair. 2008. I love that movie so much. It's uh, one yeah. of the, it's one of my, I mean, like I love Guitar Wolf, but it's also like, this is a fun, like just Japanese. I mean, there was also a time when I was really trying to get into more Japanese horror movies, in particular, like the Japanese Yakuza zombie thing. And um, as I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, wait a minute. That stuff just didn't start with junk and it didn't start with Wild Zero. There were other movies like this before that. Oh, 100 percent. And and, yeah. and and to see with a movie like Wild Zero. The Americanness of it, which is undeniably there, yeah, for sure, is parody, and it's like a funny, like yeah, yeah. it's parody, but it's also like there's a culture gap that is very obvious yes. in terms of like connecting to this American, but it, but I think, ideal. but I think with this movie, even though there, it's obvious, uh, you know, the bikerness of it, the hippiness of it, these are all borrowing from the U.S. Yeah, from but the it's, Easy Rider like oh yeah archetype, yeah, but it's not borrowing in a way that feels aspirational we w- it doesn't feel like this movie wishes it was an american movie yeah i would agree and i'm not sure. saying that wild zero wishes it was but by the time you get to wild zero it's caricature if someone mm-hmm. watched it and goes look at the american influences on japanese culture <laughs> it, it, that feels like such a jerk off thing to say yeah in that yeah, yeah, context yeah, yeah. in this context it's it's an observation you can make but it also feels a lot more natural like these kids uh, the, the the representation of youth culture in this movie is about a lot of the same things concerns yeah. about uh Government warmongering concerns yeah. about nuclear power, you know like all those things are still there underneath the surface with this right. movie as well and just a feeling of like we want to be different we mm-hmm. want to rebel like the the rebellion here is both against this nationalist group but also intentionally or no against a patriarchal system that's like a yeah. bunch of women on motorcycles that's a joke <laughs> Why is that even? What? Who Why would is be that afraid of you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's funny because the bad guys in this movie, the other uh, biker gang yeah. or whatever, they are brutal. They're riding around in cars mm-hmm. with sunglasses and putting their feet on the dashboard. It's like a complete affront to what I understand is Asian culture. Yes, and uh, it's it's really funny seeing them take them on. Yes, like, dude. The main bad guy, he doesn't drive anything. He just sits in the passenger seat of this like dune buggy and puts his like boots up, these Italian boots with like these sunglasses. And, yeah. Oh my god, it's such a funny caricature of a bad guy. I love it. I love. He is actually one of my favorite outside of Meiko uh, Kaji. She, he's one of my favorite characters in this movie because he's such a funny character. Well, it is funny that the other female character that this was meant to be her star vehicle because I would say we've lifted up the interesting things about her, which is her strength and her queerness. Uh, you take those two things away, there's no character Yeah, there. she is not a very good actress either, I would say. It's funny, because like, the song part comes out of nowhere. And yeah. that's when you that, that's when it truly galvanizes the idea that, like, yeah. oh, she's a pop star, and that's what we were going for. This is basically trying to get that money for it, another pop star. I wouldn't be high. surprised if this is one of those examples of a director 
subverting the expectations of their producers. That the producers oh, had yeah. an idea, this is going to be a fun, exciting vehicle for our pop star. And then the director gets on set and he He's does like, something else oh, entirely. Not exactly what I we're mean, going for. Were yeah. they looking for, uh, when, when I say to you that the camera work is interesting, I mean, at times it borders on kind of artistic. Yeah, and, it's and, very much like abstract, uh, almost like a Gaspar Noe irrever- irreversible, like yes. wild arm swing Just craziness. Yeah, and it's super and duper fun. You know that the producers weren't like, yeah, make sure it looks real cray cray. <laughs> you know, and also we need lots of women beating up men. Can we just have her just beat the crap out of every man she sees? <laughs> like, it feels like what was decided before set and what was decided on set might not match up. Well, now, again, that's pure speculation, but I'm just trying to imagine a world where in 1970s Japan, this is the vehicle for her to be suddenly this huge, a much bigger pop star. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know if it worked the way they thought that it would. But uh, well, she certainly didn't have the film career that a girl. See, I don't know anything about uh, Aiko Wada otherwise. Though, uh, she didn't do a lot of other acting after this. Mm-hmm. She was in the Super Mario Brothers movie, though, so it's hard to. Well, then there's that. Yes, and uh, uh, you know, she has had some career now later in life, mm-hmm. but not as much as uh, Miku Kaji, who is still kind of an active personality. Yeah, still Japan. acting, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, is also taking on a bit of a celebrity, you know, where you kind yeah. of professionally show up at things and are famous, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. But much respect to her for still being able... I mean, it, it's funny that she has sort of a, like a popular thing, considering some of the movies on her... You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah like, like, this is what she's known for is mm-hmm. some, like, real rough movies, you know? Yeah. Beautiful, but, like, rough movies. Mm. And then she's able to, like, be on a talk show as, like, an yeah. older lady. Like, for I, sure. You know, oh, her. We all know her. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways. I mean, I loved her in Lady Snowblood. And that's why doing these two movies was no big deal for me because it's like, yo, I love her. But it, it was funny to realize going into this movie in particular that she is not the central character. It's like, right. oh, wait a minute. What is going on here? It opens with uh, Aiko Wada like, riding on her motorcycle on the street. Yep. It's, just, it's pretty interesting. Her showing up. Again, it's not like the central conflict, but it sets up the central. There, These 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 factions are already hyped up to go to war with each other yeah. because of her, because she strengthens that girl gang. Yes. Uh, and then when things come to a head with this nationalist organization... Um, they they have the courage to fight back because of her and her strength and her mm-hmm. presence. Yeah, and yet plus she inspires our, our main Kelly to not yeah. lose the fight yeah. and all this other 100%. stuff. So it's like this like self motivated. Uh, her belief in him is part of her charm, though. It's one of the few yeah. moments where she stands out as a character because she so naively is just like, "You're great, and I love you." You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. she's just so inspired by his strength that he couldn't possibly lose in front of her. No. On purpose, disrespect. Yeah. yeah, so good. So, so good. Uh, you know, if 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 the term "pinky violence" makes you immediately wary, it, and it should, it should. Maybe it should. Maybe it shouldn't. I don't know. I'm not here to judge, but I can <laughs> say you don't got anything to worry about. At least with this film. Now, does the do the films get more dark as they go on? I don't know. I'll let you know <laughs> when I watch when I watch some more. But uh, but this one is definitely not. It's not rough, and and if you're someone who maybe is bummed on that, like you were looking for a real piece of work, um, I don't think you won't enjoy this though. I don't think it's like a situation where you're like, oh, that was kind of boring. It's not boring. It's very fun and very well done. It has some real stakes, uh, and it ends in a way that like I really appreciated. I think yeah, I thought it was I, really fun. I by the time we wrapped up, at the expecting end. sequels. 
but that kind of makes it fun as well. Yeah. Like, I, I'm actually kind of curious to watch the next one. Because be like, it's definitely a movie that they didn't think was going to be a blockbuster when they made no, it. No, for sure. This was a, you know, it's a modest cash-in movie. Let's let's go with this idea and see what happens. And the fact that this became a bit of a phenomenon, I think, was not expected by anybody. Okay. Well. So. That compared to the other movie on the docket. Well, I feel like this movie you're a little more uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so female, I'm sure lots of people know this series as well. The Female Prisoner 701 series, of which right. Scorpion is the first, uh, also starring Miko, Miko Kaji. And she did more of these films too, right? Yeah, she, she did more of the, the Female Prisoner movies. Like that, they went, she, Was like she in all of them? of them? Yeah, I believe she was in all of them. Wow. So, yeah, but she's definitely uh, more featured from the get from Jump Street on these on this movie because it starts with her. And uh, you want to talk about what this what this movie's about? It starts with her and her friend running away from a prison where they are held. Mm-hmm. And um, her friend has her period, I guess. Is, is it her or the friend that has the period while they're running away and then the dogs are chasing them with the blood and all this? I I think it's her friend. It's her friend, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and it's uh basically a female prison movie. I mean, it's kind of a difficult like it's that's exactly what it is, would you say? Well, it's also a revenge movie. She's imprisoned. Part of the key thing here is for a lot of female prisoner movies, um there's an element of false imprisonment. But the but the but the the sympathetic character is also weak. Yeah, and in this film, it's it's got the strength factor of a revenge film. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it also has the uh, uh, exploitative eye of a f- female prisoner movie. You know, it wants to give you all the titillation that you would get in a big bird cage, mm-hmm. but it wants to also have this central revenge plot and kind of set her up, quite honestly, as like a superhero. Like she yeah. is irrationally good at everything she does. Mm-hmm. She's stronger than everyone around her, and her anger, I mean... Is righteous in the end, right? The title Scorpion (laughs) is not chosen because it sounded cool. Yeah. She is real good at hurting people, and she'll end up hurting everyone around her, and it's really up to them to decide it's worth it or not. Even the people who are her allies will suffer, (laughs) and that's just the cost of being friends with a scorpion, I guess. (laughs) But on the other hand, the whole time, like even as I'm watching people eat shit for her sake, I'm thinking, yeah, but she's they're right though. Like <laughs> that's probably what you should do because she's her. This is I will say this: this is the worst possible film for someone whose life motto is "live and let live." Right. Yeah. This, this whole is movie that. is yeah. Everyone must pay. Everyone. Have you slighted her in any way? You will pay. The vengeance is due. Yeah. And that's not to say that the slights are minor. They give lots of opportunity for serious slights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, some brutal stuff going up to us leading into this. And it's like this whole betrayal. The betrayal is brutal. So, uh, I mean, basically, uh, 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 to give you guys a setup, um, we sort of said what the beginning is. But we get a bit of the backstory. The backstory is that um, she is in a Uh, relationship with with a married uh, a cop police officer and yeah. he gets her to do some undercover work for him and it turns out that that's all a setup 
because he is part of the Yakuza doing the bad stuff. Yeah, and so he basically uses her to set up this entire ring of the head of the Yakuza, and uh, they uh, assault her, and he uses that assault as an opportunity both to bring them up on assault charges, so that gets them into... Yeah, area and, and then, break apart their yakuza gang so yeah, his gang and, and, can, and he discovers a bunch like he when he discovers them assaulting her which he's basically set up that they would do this mm-hmm. that's also in their office where all their papers are so now he has the excuse to arrest them and, and because be he's arrested office, them he can yeah. seize all their papers and now he can bring them up on charges and none of that i mean that's bad enough that he's set up this person who loves him to be mm-hmm mistreated but none of that was for justice either he's not corrupt for justice he's yeah. corrupt to help a different arrival yakuza yeah that, that he's a part of yeah and so we get all this backstory once she's in prison we're trying to understand why she is so brutally focused on escape and yeah. that is why and then the rest of the film is sort of okay well she's she's got a number of issues now on one hand the prison authorities <laughs> are also corrupt Right. So the prison authorities are trying to hurt her because of their, of their the, friend, which is yeah. this corrupt cop. The yeah. prisoners are mad at her because she's caused them all. There's basically mass punishment because of her misbehavior. Right. Plus, some of the prisoners are corrupt, and she won't put up with their bullshit, mm-hmm. their abuse either. Um, and then one of the prisoners is uh, offered freedom in exchange for killing her Murdering on behalf her. of yeah, the, yeah, this yeah. police officer. The police so, officer comes up to her in like a rock yard and is right. like, "Kill her." It's brutal. So she's in the she's in the midst of it, and so again, though the film shows you that she is very much the scorpion, she will sting. Uh-huh. Uh, you still feel sympathy for her because everyone around her is against her. Is against her, way. except yeah. for the occasional ally, and each of those allies suffers. Yeah. But you never feel, in a very literal way, the suffering of everyone who has compassion for her is her fault. Yeah. But because she's been so wronged, as a watcher, I'm never like, man, look at her. Screwing <laughs> these. Every time I. My sympathy is with her. So yeah, I see every single suffering. time I'm like, it's because of this horrific monsters that surround her right. in these positions of power. And this is one of those classic um, corruption as systemic uh, indictment films. What, by that I mean, uh, you could have a movie. So uh, what's a good example? I would argue that the movie Penitentiary. Mm, or Tenement. Uh, oh, you know, I've never seen Tenement. Oh, really? I own it on Blu-ray. Oh, you So watch I need to great. watch it. Uh, but the uh, movie Penitentiary is mm-hmm. just a prison guy goes to prison movie who shouldn't be in prison. Right. And it's a personal story. But in telling that personal story, there's an implied indictment of the system. The system yeah. is bad. Right. You could also have a movie of injustice that's about individuals. These are individual bad people using the system to hurt someone. Mm. I would argue that female prisoner Scorpion, at least this one that we watched. Yeah. Is somewhere along the lines of. Uh, indicting that system. Yeah. That. Uh, the Yakuza are bad. Also, the cops are bad. And the cops are Yakuza. Yeah. Also, also yeah. the prison is bad. Right. The prison, this is the thing about the prison. I, I kind of made it sound like the prison is also Yakuza. It's not that. It's that the prison, they don't like the idea that she's independent. Mm-hmm. They like the cop and they want to help him out. And even when they figure out that the cop is dirty, they don't care because they, they have to maintain the prison. Yeah, they and, and they have to maintain their solidarity. When she escapes, they don't tell anyone. Yeah, she 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 escapes again. 
They don't tell anyone because they don't want to look bad. Yeah, they, they want to catch her on her own. Yeah. And they basically go on nefarious missions outside of the prison to catch her out in the world. Yeah, these rogue missions. Far beyond their mandate. So, like... Far it, beyond their jurisdiction. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And, uh, And so, like... In other words, when I say it's condemning of the system, I don't even mean it's condemning of the system in a limited way. The film seems to be skeptical of all systems. Yeah. That being a scorpion or being the ally of the scorpion are the only good positions to be in in this yeah. movie. Otherwise, it's a diametric opposite of yeah. what these establishments do. Yeah. Every organization of humans is going to hurt you. Yeah. So best to be the sh- best to have a sharpened needle ready to hurt all those coming yeah. for you. Part of your tail. Yeah, 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 for sure. But um, see, it's funny. You famously, Cinepunks listeners, Liam is the one who champions exploitation and grittiness. I and do. I am not one that enjoys that kind of movie in particular. I actually have a hard time getting through them a lot of times. Sure. So how would you say this movie stacks up against other exploitation movies of this time? This came out in 1974. Right. Again, it's Japanese. How would you say this compares to other uh, early 70s, early to mid 70s exploitation films? I, I mean, look, 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 look. I'm not... Gonna... And I respect the fact that the genre of exploitation films is so broad. You can't say one is one sure, and the, sure, the sure, other sure, is the sure. same. But... I mean, I, I don't want to put myself up there as an expert, and I certainly don't put myself up there as an expert when it comes to, like, timing. So, like, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of, like, you know, the big bird cage or yeah. various other sort of, like, women in prison movies is one that I've seen a chunk of, or black exploitation. obviously, I've seen a chunk of, uh, various martial arts films, those mm-hmm. sorts of things, right? Uh, in this case, um, I don't necessarily know, like, what was out. 1974 per se especially Mm -hmm. like when we're talking about things in japan yeah because the reality is like let's say this movie came out around the same time as something like the big bird cage or a similar film Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean anyone in japan saw that movie right yeah because notoriously japanese culture and society at this time was a lot more repressive this was just but by the 70s this is this is yeah by the 70s we're having that rebirth yeah there's there's probably a lot more Japanese films coming out around this time that were a little more racy. I mean, just again, think about Lady Snowblood mm. had a lot more um, other things going on in it per se. So I don't know how to how it compares in Japan. I will say, to my taste, mm-hmm. I feel like the sexual violence in the movie is handled in a way that's meant to be horrifying. And yeah, not it's explicit. not meant to be titillating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, so. A, a movie a lot of people love that I have issues with, not issues where I judge you, but issues, is I Spit on Your Grave. I yeah. think I Spit on Your Grave. I fucking hate that movie. I wouldn't go so far as to say I hate it. I, I fucking hate that movie. I don't enjoy it because I think it uh, is not clear enough in its use of sexual violence that that's supposed to be... Abhorrent. Yeah. I, I, and again, I, I do think that that is a taste issue in the sense of like how people feel about the representation but for me i, I don't i don't think it does you it can't rock with it it's not it's a thing. not for me no. um i don't think this movie is there but i do think that the use of as i said earlier in the recording the use of nudity in this movie is definitely meant to titillate and to mess with you and in mm-hmm. fact it uh, or meant to titillate in a positive way and i think it's only meant to mess with you in the scene where the one woman has been driven so insanely angry uh-huh. at, at um Miko Kaji. Yeah. What is her character's name in the film? Uh, I forget. 
We'll have to look it up. Um, she's so insanely angry that she's running after her in her underwear, ready to like hurt her. To like when she her. stabs the dude in the eye. That scene. Yeah, she's so mad. She's so. Oh, her name is Nami. Yeah. Uh, or you know, she's Scorpion basically. Uh, and she's so mad. And in that scene, I think the nudity crosses over into something otherworldly but i mean that yeah, was the like whole a point caricature of the scene. yeah 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 and so it's it's not in, in that scene i think it starts off titillating like uh-huh. Ooh, all these ladies are taking showers <laughs> and then by the end it's like horrifying because there's already broken glass now yeah. she's got this knife she wants to stab her with the nudity of it is suddenly extremely uncomfortable yeah and it's, then she has this makeup on where yep. she looks like an actual yeah. oni she looks like yeah. a demon yeah. And so the nudity goes to serve that demonic right. identity. Right, 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 right. And, 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 so and then I, she stabs a cop in the eye, a prison guard in the eye with like her knife. And it's I like that he brutal. immediately I mean, she suffers for that, mm-hmm. but he knows who's really to blame. Yeah. Like that, he, he transfers that anger to Scorpion, you know, uh-huh. to Nani. Yeah. Immediately. Like this is Miko Kaji's fault. And and that 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 happens in the movie a lot, that she causes problems for herself. By getting revenge, her none of her revenge, mm-hmm. or or payment, whatever, however you want to think of it, none of it's clean, right? She yeah. causes more problems. But again, unlike other films where you see someone causing problems for themselves, and you think, ah, oh, this fucker. <laughs> Every time it causes her more problems, I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's just that's the price to pay. Yeah, 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 that's how yeah, it had yeah. to be. You know, so um, even the riot, you know, yeah. like, oh man. So good. So, uh, just to reel back for people, basically, uh, she's subjected to all manner of abuses, and she finds creative and interesting ways to make people suffer for the abuses they've inflicted upon her mm-hmm. until she finally escapes and attempts to enact her final revenge. And uh, in order for her to escape, there's a whole riot that yeah. goes off. Uh, and she has a character who is endeared to her, I think because she senses the natural justice of the her natural innocence of her. Yeah. yeah. And so she knows that whatever she's trying to do is in some sense justified. Yeah. So when everything goes down and the, the guards of course, aren't going to let this riot stand, they don't want to be dishonored by anyone finding out about it. So they're just going to murder all these rioting women. Mm-hmm. They don't kill everyone, but they kill most of them. Yeah. In that chaos, she's able to escape. Uh, and then she, you know, sort of comes to a climax where she's trying to get, the police officer alone and she manages to kill the yakuza guys oh, <laughs> by the way again this is another movie where you might go into this thinking like oh so it's a martial arts film like, it is not a martial arts no, film. No, no, no no you could argue that about like for example lady snowblood is about the choreography of the sword fights right this isn't choreography this is she's going to sneak up on people with a sword or a knife yeah, with her shank yeah, 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 yeah and they're all going to get done up uh but even though the fighting is not the point, it's still badass, right? Yeah, for sure. Every kill in it's the climax like, of this oh, movie, you're yeah. just like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh. And then she does have sort of a final confrontation with this police officer on the roof. But again, that's not meant to highlight some sort of like extraordinary fighting. Yeah. It's just supposed to be cathartic. That that she can't just kill him. No, it has she to has be to, an actual there has battle. to be a suffering there. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 for sure. But that's the thing, right? Like, as far as this movie goes. And as much as I enjoyed uh, *The Girl Boss*, and I didn't enjoy this one as much as that one, 
I still really like that there were artistic flares and chances yes. taken in this movie, visually speaking. Even more so. I would yeah. say this movie is way more creative than Delinquent Girl Boss, partly maybe because of the ground that Delinquent Girl Boss broke. That yeah. Maybe this movie was more free to go cray-cray with it. Because, because it's four yeah. years after Delinquent Girl Boss. Yeah. But that's the thing, though. Like it's It's one of those movies, like, if you watch a movie like The Equalizer. Sure. Um, it's a pop summer movie for sure, starring Denzel, but there is the heart of a filmmaker at the helm. And I feel as though this has the same, like, yeah, it's a movie that's like... I mean, I enjoy this much more than The Equalizer, but I understand what you're saying. But, I mean, Anton Fuqua making movies, my contention with his movies is that he is an actual filmmaker visionary that's stuck making pop movies. So, you know, he's he's somehow... You like him a lot more than I like him. I do that's like interesting. Him. Yeah, I do. Maybe what should... is your favorite Anton Fuqua movie? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what my favorite Anton Fuqua movie is, but I will say that The Equalizer 2 should have been called The Sequelizer, and it was not. So the, <laughs> that bumped me out. But anyway, <laughs> back to the topic at hand. <laughs> um, I definitely think that... Um, this movie has the heart of an artistic movie of a house in there. Like it has that idea. Well, we're doing a little bit of the thing we mean not to do, which is we're drawing distinctions that we think are not real distinctions. So I don't want to be too harsh on it, but I do think you're right in that someone could make a movie like this. People did make movies like this that I also find fully entertaining and fully engaging. And I, and I enjoy some of those movies, at least the ones that are, well edited and 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 move along with what they're doing, uh, <laughs> but this movie also, you're right, has that extra artistic flair to yeah, it. Yeah, trying to be something a little more, uh, and 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 you know, because of the nature of the film, female prison revenge movie, mm-hmm. someone might write it off and not expect to find within it some real creativity with how it's filmed, yeah. how it's done. With the and even some of the it. acting is fucking great. It's it. so good. It's so even something as simple as uh in the beginning when uh the lady is torturing um the two ladies who ran away. Um and she's right, got right, right, she's right, right. like, you know, pouring their food on the floor and all that stuff. It, this while they're bi- so the two ladies are in adjoining prison cells and they're in isolation and uh, they can't even talk to each other. The only way they can communicate is by banging their head on the adjacent wall that shares the two that the two cells share. And um, there's a lady that is like uh, kind of like a uh, she's even though she's a prisoner, she does the bidding of the the guards right. and all that stuff. Yes. And she is there to torture these women who made a valiant attempt at getting away. And she does this by pouring their food on the floor and telling them to lick it off the floor like their dogs and all this other stuff. Sure. And uh, the way that that is filmed is, I mean, it's a low-light situation. It's a basement, and it's wet. It just looks brutal, but it also looks artistic in that brutality. Sure. Well, I would say even the insight of during her assault by the Yakuza, yeah. switching the camera angle to below Underneath the floor yeah, with a glass floor where you're seeing her face in a way where you in don't that sort of scene, a lot of times you wouldn't see the person's face. You wouldn't see their response. You wouldn't see yeah. the horror and ang- the look on her face. You suddenly understand how whatever it is you're thinking of her as a victim has is still there she is yeah. in some sense being victimized for sure but the look on her face says oh i'm going to hurt all of you yeah and 
you want that. And understand, I'm someone who is not sure how I feel about the concept of vengeance, you know? Mm. Hence my love for the movie, Sympathy for <laughs> Mr. Vengeance, which, by the way, has very little sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. No, it, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny, again, like, even with those movies that are Korean, there is a lot of the DNA of these Meiko Kaji yeah, movies. Yeah, 100%. In yeah, especially Lady sp- Vengeance. Like, yeah, sp- oh my God, you totally took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. Exactly. You could see the direct influence of this movie on Lady Vengeance, yeah. I think. It, and like longtime listeners of the show know, I love the that whole trilogy of vengeance. All three of them I adore. See, my thing with you is that I think there's something aesthetically about some of these seventies movies that you don't love that's sort of mm-hmm. bumming you out. Because the similarities between the Vengeance trilogy and a bunch of other exploitation films are really strong. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some of the exploitation films that you've seen that you don't like Partly those are like not great movies mm-hmm. that people okay. like because of their extremity. They mm-hmm. they like them because they're goofy. It's like it'd be like if you knew someone who was like, I don't know how I feel about metal. And you're like, OK, well, what metal have you heard? And they're like, well, I've heard a lot of anal cunt. <laughs> and you're like, well, the problem there That's is that exactly, there's, there yeah. are some charms. There's some charms yeah, to for that. Sure. But I'm just going to I'm just going to say that if that's what you don't like, that doesn't mean you don't like the whole thing. Okay. All right. I will admit to you that maybe I haven't seen enough. I mean, like, granted, there are definitely like movies like Coffee. I love Coffee. Uh, Movies like um, I really do like The Big Birdcage. I like those weird early Sid Haig movies. Yeah. Well, and and you know, uh, especially I think the ones starring Vic Diaz. Yeah. In fact, uh, it hasn't dropped yet, so this is this is a exclusive for y'all. But uh, you know. For Eric Roberts is the fucking man. We have officially recorded our last episode. Oh wow! And we're transitioning to a new thing. We're calling uh, Cinema Sp- Smorgasbord. Yeah. And within Cinema Smorgasbord, we're going to do a variety of features that Doug is considering independent podcasts within this larger thing. So we'll right. have like in his mind six podcasts, <laughs> but it'll only come out regularly, whatever. But it's just we're going to switch lanes on yeah. a regular basis. So one of the ones that we're going to be doing, and this is an exclusive. You might know about this already, but in case you don't, is uh, whatever happened to Vic Diaz? Because we all we all know Sid Haig. Yeah. Sid Haig kept going, right? But Vic Diaz was in all those Filipino films. He was in all of them. He was. And uh, and then what happened to him? No one knows. I don't know. Now, do I think we're going to solve the question of actually what happened to him? I don't know. It's part of the mandate, but really, I just want an excuse to watch a bunch of Vic Diaz movies <laughs> because I've seen him in in. And almost all of the, for those of you who've seen the documentary, Machete Maidens Unleashed, it's about yeah. all those exploitation films that were, that were made in the Philippines. Philippines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, So movies like Raw Force, he's in Raw Force. Yeah, right? yeah well, that's what I'm in... saying. I've seen maybe six or seven of those movies, which is not a lot, but that's how many I've seen about. So, he was in, say, what was that one? Maybe vampire, he was in a weird vampire movie too? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. He's been in at least eight of those movies I've seen. Yeah. And I'm like, this dude has had actually kind of an interesting career. I'd like to see more <laughs> of his movies. I'd even like to see his Filipino films because he yeah, wasn't yeah, just yeah. in American films filmed in the Philippines. No, he was he, in Filipino movies around the yeah. 70s that were like produced by Imelda Marcos yeah. and like all that other stuff. I'd like to see some of his other movies because I bet they're crazy. I think he was in a couple. Wasn't he in a Wang Wang movie too? Like yep. he was. Yeah, yep. he was in For Your Height Only. So this is the this is the thing. It's like with, you know, we, we had both positive and negative experiences focusing on Eric Roberts. <laughs> What if within the uh, uh, mission of this 
podcast, we do some other actors. So Vic Diaz is one of the ones. We're That's gonna be amazing. Doing. There's other stuff we're doing that isn't focused on one actor, mm-hmm. but we thought rather than just doing another show focused on one actor, what if we focus on a few different actors? Just we had a thing. Yeah. So Vic Diaz is one of the ones I was like, that's we amazing. Do Vic Diaz. Yeah, yeah. So, so good. But you know, that's part of the thing here is that like, I think you've seen a few of these kind of out there movies, and and my thought would be to you rather than saying like. I think this genre makes me uncomfortable, but there's a couple of exceptions that don't. Mm-hmm. It might be not the genre, but the ones that make you uncomfortable might just be be the ones I don't like. You don't yeah, like yeah, them, yeah. 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 The same That's way that fair. like we don't love all horror movies. There are lots of horror movies that I think are stupid that yeah. I don't enjoy. No, you know, you're not wrong. You're not incorrect. It's just the funny thing is that the common theme in a lot of these exploitation movies is this element of sexual violence and I have a hard time with that. See, I would I would say that's just one flavor though, that there are plenty of movies that people still consider exploitation that don't have sexual violence. Okay. I think that's just one, you know, the whole point of exploitation is, it seems to me, the reason we call them exploitation movies is they're taking some extreme thing and they're exploiting it in order to make money. Okay. That doesn't mean they're not artistic. So, People like me who love these movies, I'm not insulting what you love. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make them that artistic, but it means that we're going to focus on this thing. So that's why you could have a genre like black exploitation. Mm-hmm. What is it we're focused on? Making these films as black as we can, which and might sound money off of their yeah, blackness, and, and it and might sound ridiculous now because we have lived so long with quote unquote black film that it's like, well, why would that be a thing? But at the time. There was not making movies that were that. I mean, there were black films before that, but for Hollywood to make films that were focused on quote unquote being black Mm -hmm. was as crazy as a martial arts movie because that was so foreign to general audiences. Yeah. They were so unused to it, especially, I would say, after the 50s. Because it was actually in the 50s that we whitewashed film a lot more. Uh Um, Positively and negatively, because it was also towards the end of the 50s that it started to become unpopular to do blackface. Right. So, right, like, right. that was a positive thing. <laughs> we stopped thinking blackface was like horrible. entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, we, I would argue we still thought it was entertaining. America, <laughs> I say uh, we. we. Americans still thought it was entertaining, but they started to think it was maybe a little too gauche to put in a movie. Right, right, right. But the there, were still, they had there were done, still examples done. of blackface into the sixties, though. Right. So it it didn't totally go away. But uh, but there were before the fifties black films and um and as we saw in horror noir even yeah. black horror, horror films movies. yeah but it was really in the 50s where a lot of things got very whitewashed and in the 70s bringing back more blackness in a variety of ways positively and negatively remember because the point of this the interesting thing about black exploitation is that the goal wasn't liberation no the goal wasn't to lift black folks up it was to test a new market. So that means some examples are very positive. Mm-hmm. Some examples are very negative. Because again, yeah. the motivation was just what images of black folks can we put in films that we haven't before that'll make us money. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, that might sound like I'm criticizing the whole genre, but I'm not. I'm explaining the phenomena of it. And that's why it's such a mixed bag. Yeah. I would say the so same. Maybe the same thing applies to exploitation movies. As and it implies and to sexuality because more sexuality meant more positive sexuality, but also more negative sexuality. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. as a culture, sometimes we were more willing to spend money on negative sexuality. Yeah. Rape, revenge movies made money. They did. And it didn't matter if it was uplifting which you could argue none of it's uplifting and i'm mm-hmm. not offended by that output outlook 
but some of it was very specifically not at all. It was the worst possible example. You yeah, have. it was not meant and to the, be empowering. And the only way. thing that yeah. lifts it up is knowing that it's pretend. Yeah. There are some movies. The only reason you could even handle it exists is because you go, "Oh right, someone got paid to pretend." Yeah. Oh right, this isn't actually a thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that's I, the only thing that makes it at all tolerable that it exists. Yeah, I would say like the Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Faro movies. No <sighs> artistic merit to those. Fuck those movies. I mean, we agree on that. I Again, we know that everyone agrees on that. Uh, especially, you could argue that Cannibal Holocaust created found footage. Everyone says, uh, everyone would say it's uh, Blair Witch. But technically, Cannibal Holocaust created both found footage movies and... Problematic uh, zombie movies from Italy. Well, yeah, that's right. true, too. Cannibal but, but Cannibal Holocaust also created um, the media blitz. Yeah. It okay. pretended to be real. Sure. I would say, for me, while the film is unwatchable, <laughs> the media campaign around it, which, by the way, got them in trouble. They actually had yeah, to Yeah, went go, to jail and all they that. They actually had to prove it wasn't real. Yeah. Um, that part is revolutionary. I just wish it was in support of a film that I found actually enjoyable. I mean, this is the thing, too. Yet another example. There are, you know, as you all know, my man Josh has made a great sacrifice in no longer being a Morrissey fan, which is a hard thing you had to decide. Yeah, it's horrible. The thing with me and Cannibal Holocaust, much like Jeepers Creepers or Screwdriver, these are things I don't like anyway. So the <laughs> fact that they're also connected to something gross is yeah. like fine by me because I don't like them. I didn't like Cannibal Holocaust, and then I thought about it and thought, also, it is playing into a certain view of tribal indigenous peoples that I find kind of offensive it's not the point of the movie but i also am a little bit offended yeah, like, by what it. the fuck so yeah. the fact that i also don't like it it's like easy so i always have to balance that a little bit because i'm like well i'm not sacrificing anything <laughs> being above that you know <laughs> it's hard for me to take a strong stance on say roman polanski because right. rosemary's baby is fucking awesome it's a brilliant amazing movie he might be a monster yeah. so you know it, he at least did a terrible thing and he might have done a terrible thing because he's also inherently a monster i don't know it's hard to know but i'm actually giving something up there when i get on a high horse about something like cannibal holocaust <laughs> it's kind of unfair because i also think it's bad so <laughs> i'm not giving anything there up. is nothing there that you're like having to like cast no, yourself for yeah, yeah you know i i get it it's hard for some of you to give up on that first screwdriver record but it's really not that good it's not a good record come on now. it's fine but it's not worth putting up with all that bullshit <laughs> anyway moving on back on track yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie's great. I think you should see it. I think this movie I mean, for again, all of like the weird stuff in there yeah. that disagrees with me wholeheartedly. Right. I definitely think that it is uh f it's it's a pretty interesting movie to watch. Right. And there are definitely enough redemptive issues or qualities to it yeah. that uh has me at least finishing it when I watch well, it. Well, I think you just have to decide for yourself, audience, how you feel about sexual violence in a movie. I mean, look at like The Nightingale is a movie that's out right now and it's hard that that's a movie creating some controversy because for some people they're like it's a brilliant film that deals with a lot of complicated issues and for other people they're like i don't want to watch a film involving sexual violence against a woman because that's triggering for me no matter what no matter how good the movie is yeah so you have to decide for yourself for me personally um the way this is handled i think it works mm -hmm. but if you were like you know i'm interested in miku kaji and i'm interested in the genre i don't want to see a movie where that's depicted in any way that's a decision for you to make. So yeah. I'm not going to, I don't want anyone to leave this podcast thinking Liam judge me because I don't want to watch the rape scene. Yeah, no, yeah, totally. Yeah. If that's where you're at, I'm totally for it. But if you're someone who's like, I don't know what to think, 
in my opinion, I think that it's you won't be offended. It's plot, and it's it done in a way that is not exploitative of that. In my mind, that's how it is. Maybe I'm full of shit, but that's for you to decide. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> As we know, you decide every episode for 101 times now. <laughs> so, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Well, hey. Let's wrap it up. That's the episode. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, again, rate, review, subscribe, and um, tell your friends to listen to Sinpunks. If you think that Liam is full of shit, feel free to email or tweet at us. Yes. Uh, we're at Cinepunks on all the socials, and we are cinepunks at gmail.com on the email. So write yeah. to us. Let us know what comment, it is. Comment on the site. Check it out. And like we said, check out all the other shows, even horror business. <laughs> um, <laughs> those horror business guys are monsters. One of those dudes is the worst dude ever. Absolutely. And the other one is Justin Lore. Um, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. Uh, also, big thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Um, we're going to record some Patreon material very soon. We say it every episode, but one of these times it will be true. <laughs> but yeah, thank you to Bruce Park for being awesome. Yeah. And uh, thank you to everybody for uh, for listening to Cinepunk. So that is it. In, uh, episode 101. Done okay. and done. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Smoke bomb.